You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. Please welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to Be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. So um, today's topic, I mean, there couldn't be a more appropriate day. I was a little nervous about scheduling it for today, but uh, having tax day be the day that we were talking about money and negotiating with power, since I know personally, I'm sure uh, Maggie will be able to discern my money story. It's one of those days that makes me very anxious to <laughs> owning your own business always brings a lot of stuff up right around tax time. Um, plus, each one of us comes with our divorce story, our money story, as we're going to hear about. So, um, um, you know, hopefully your taxes are done at this point, and um, but it's not a bad time to be talking about, you know, money. And our guest today, who I'm really excited to bring on, is really going to help us think about our money stories and how do we know, negotiate around money in divorce in a healthy and productive way. So um, with that, I'm going to welcome Maggie Baker, who's our guest. She's an, the author of a book I have in front of me, Crazy About Money. And as a practicing psychologist for 30 years, Dr. Maggie Baker offers offers services for anxiety, depression, relationship issues, trauma, ADHD, ADD, and money behavior issues specifically. Her two specialties are the assessment and treatment of ADHD and the psychology of money and wealth. Her book, Crazy About Money, tells the story of people who try to act rationally about money but end up sabotaging their own efforts. And I just have to interact. I'm not sure who doesn't, right? Um, We all have a little self-sabotage here and there, that's for sure. Well, I certainly have my doses. Um, Dr. Baker has a master's in general psychology from Temple University and a Ph.D. in child development and clinical evaluation from Bryn Mawr College. And she also serves as consultant to the Center for the Study of Adult Development and is an adjunct professor at Chestnut Hill College and Widener Graduate School of Clinical Psychology. Dr. Baker is a member of the Financial Therapy Association Philadelphia Society of Clinical Psychology the Philadelphia Society of Psychoanalytic Psychology and Pennsylvania Psychological Association. So, Maggie, Maggie, with 30 years behind you and really an immersion in psychology and psychology of money, I mean, you can't be a better person for us to have on the call to be talking about this. So I'm so grateful. Welcome. Well, thank you, and I'm just delighted to be here, and I wish I could see all of the people who are listening to us, but I will just use my imagination. Right, <laughs> right, right. And um, so, you know, one of the things, I, I just felt like I had to start with this because I'm imagining, you know, people on the call as well and knowing where I've been and having read, you know, a good part of your book where you were in situations like this, that you have this um that it's really difficult. It's really difficult to be facing something like divorce or even considering it. And money is the money issues that arise are just such a huge part of it. And you had this one quote in your book that just felt really powerful to me. And, you know, I think even challenging to think about. So I'm just going to challenge everybody who's on the call right now to even think about this quote that you put forward. And then I'm going to invite you to maybe expand on it a little bit with us. Okay. 
you wrote, and here's a little surprise for you because you don't know I'm giving you this, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> um, you wrote, we would never learn to be brave and patient if there were only joy in the world. Ah, uh, yes. Well, we all know the pain of paying today since it's tax day. And I think that we um, all know that pain, unfortunately, is probably one of the best teachers in terms of getting us to pay attention and to pay attention to things that are really important to address. So that's that's how I would start. Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I know when I experience and, and actually I, have to, I will say like this last week, you know, around so many things, it's been a painful week. I don't know, something and people will tell me about the astrology of April 2015, whatever it is. It's been a very challenging week this last week. And, you know, sometimes like the pain can get so deep. It's you just have so much anger. You just have so much frustration and it's so hard. And yet one of the things is like, oh, I know it's here to tell me something, but why does it have to be so painful? <laughs> Well, and I think that the the issue of pain is that it, if it's only pain, it sinks you. But if it's pain and you can see forward, so the pain is purposeful in the sense it's going to take you somewhere, that takes a lot of sting out of it. And I think that applies directly to divorce because obviously there's a reason that you're thinking about divorce or actually going through the process. And most people think, gee, if I do this, it's going to make, in some ways, my life better. And even though it may be very, very painful at this point because of the uncertainty of the loss and for many people the kind of overwhelming flood of, I don't know anything about money, I don't know how to handle it, I don't know how I feel about it, I don't know what my relationship is to it, and that's all very, very painful, but if there is a part of you that can reach forward and say, yeah, but I'm doing this for a reason. I I don't want to be in gridlock anymore. I don't want to be stuck anymore. I don't want to be smothered anymore. I don't want to be whatever the pain is that's gotten you to the point of wanting to separate or divorce. So that it's, it's if you can hold out that hope as well as feel the pain, then it becomes purposeful. You know, absolutely. And so I think, you know, to our callers, I really, our listeners, I really want to put out that challenge as I put it out there to them and put it out there for myself is that when things feel most difficult, you know, to not only feel the pain, but as you said, to really see the pain as a gateway that, you know, if we can do both feel the pain, but also see that there's some reason why it's arising, something that can come from it, some direction that it's pointing us to that's productive, you know, that, that's productive in some way, that that's our challenge. And um, I would like to invite people in to take that challenge on for themselves as they listen to today's call, because that's where I really think the greatest value of the things that you're going to share with us come from and it comes you know we'll be able to take it in by having a stance that you know we're not going to get easy solutions to problems here but we're going to you know get support around how can we take the pain that we're in and help point it and, and move in a direction where we can find something productive on the other side well I think one one idea may help is that pain is normal you know when you're hurting pain is a way to signal yourself to do something about it. 
And I think what happens is that people get afraid of pain and that ups the anxiety that comes with it, which always makes pain worse and, and can immobilize people rather than free them to say, okay, what can I do about my pain? Right. So, you know, let's take that and, and segue into, I mean, you're a psychologist and I'm looking at the cover of your book and I think one of our listeners today is going to get a copy of your book. You know, somebody will oh, be great. today, which is nice. And, you know, you actually have the picture of the head and it, it kind of then gives us a gateway into the inside of the brain and, you know, which parts of the brains do, you know, all the things that are, are um worked out and figured out in the brain and as a psychologist. So, you know, what makes money such a hot button? Like what actually goes on inside of us that makes money such a hot button issue for us? Well, if you think of caveman and uh, caveman being chased by big gorilla, that puts the caveman in a situation of fight or flight and survival. And I think we've you know, we've come far from the caveman days, but money now, I think, symbolizes the same sense of survival. You can't live in this culture, and particularly in a very materialistic culture, without money, so that it is absolutely as important as food and sex. Some people might even think it's more important. Um, and because of that, it has very, very high survival value. As well as that, we are social animals. We're constantly comparing ourselves. And because money has the, the power to buy things that bring pleasure and freedom, then we're always noting what everybody else has so that it becomes not only a means of survival, it becomes a means of status and a means of prestige and power. Um, so that's just the beginning of what is embedded in money that makes it so powerful and difficult for people to deal with. Right, and then we know that, you know, inside, and we've talked on some of these calls in the past too, that when those survival levers in the brain get triggered is that we really are not able to act as rationally as we would at other times. So that if, as you said, that flight or fight mode is triggered by our fear of survival, that there's a loss of like our rationality in a sense that we can't really make good decisions. Absolutely. And then what is put on top of that is anybody who is going into the stage of uncertainty about going through a separation of, or divorce, will, it will, just that process will activate old childhood fears about money so that it's not just what you think about money currently, but what will come up are a lot of old feelings about money that that may remain unconscious but still affect your behavior and to give you a concrete example let's say well, hold off maggie just for one second oh. i want to get to the examples and i just want to for our listeners okay. say one thing before we get into the sure. examples and the story scripts we're going to talk about is that 
part of the reason we're doing this call, and I just really want to make it super explicit, is that, you know, this is a scientific reality that we're going to get triggered about money, that it's going to activate, you know, some kind of primal survival trigger in, you know, virtually everybody doing this, not only because money is tied to survival, but as you said, because we're heading into a period of so much uncertainty and upheaval and things like that. So if if people walked away from this call with like nothing else, if we only walked away with the ability to be consciously aware that we're going to get triggered and to have some awareness to be able to step back and say, okay, I'm going to pay attention to my own triggeredness around this and try not to make, you know, my biggest decisions, you know, from that place, that this call would have been an overwhelming success, you know, just from that, you know, just raising that awareness and people's willingness Mm -hmm. to say, I know I'm going to get affected by this. And hopefully, of course, it makes them want to listen further, you know, for (laughs) what else we have to share. But, you know, I think just that information can really transform the course that a divorce can take. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about that because one of the places where you were heading, uh, you know, taking us to where you have something you call like money scripts and that you yes. know, we all have a money script. There's nobody here who can say, you know, I don't have one, right? Every single one right, of us right. has one. Money means something to us. So, you know, yes. talk a little bit about what these money scripts are and then you can give us some examples. Okay, just as as briefly as I can, everybody grows up in a certain emotional climate. And you can have somebody who's very, very well off but worries about money all the time. The parents communicate that worry to a kid. The kid picks it up and makes all kinds of half-truth assumptions because they're kids, they're immature. So let's say there's a lot of uh, tension in how you grew up with money and that your parents didn't have that much money. You might gather, gee, I grew up with not much money. Oh, maybe I'm really poor. I'm going to be poor the rest of my life. Um, You might have somebody else who grew up in a family that didn't have much money, but they were very comfortable with it. They uh, were calm and, you know, just felt really good. So they didn't communicate any kind of anxiety, but only kind of comfort and you would be taken care of. And in that sense, you might develop the script of like somebody will always take care of me, which in part may be true, but it may, because you're a kid, you don't have any reality to it. So you'll think, well, I never have to worry about money. The universe will always provide. So you grow up with these ideas that are unconscious, but they may, as an adult, affect your behavior. And I think relating to what Adina said, if you can kind of welcome the awareness of the irrationality of some of your beliefs, then you can rework them. But if you try to say they're not there and you get too rational too quickly, then in your behavior, they'll come out anyway. Right. And, you know, it was interesting. You had um, another quote, and then I want to take us into more of what some of those stories are. But, you know, you had another quote in here that I loved. And I have to say, it caused me a serious moment of pause. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad it impacted It did. And so I want to share with people. And it said, you know, don't tell me where your priorities are. Show me where you spend your money and I'll (laughs) tell you what they are. Yes. And I love that. Yes. 
And it caused me to stop and pause. And it caused me like, so I started to do, you know, in my own life and think about, oh my gosh, what do I say are my priorities? And I've got my core values hanging up here above my head on my wall and stuff like that. And then starting to see like, wow, did my spending habits match that? That was a good inquiry. And then I thought to myself, you know, about divorce. And since this call really addresses that, you know, this, I mean, it pushes us to ask a really big question of, you know, what really are our biggest priorities, you know, when it comes to divorce and are we putting our money in those places? So is it to have money for our kids to be able to go to college? Is it, you know, to be able to move on quickly? Is it to be able to, you know, have people feel, you know, somewhat healthy and whole? Is it to have a battle, you know, and like to actually state consciously and and name it and even write it down, like, what are my biggest goals here and what will I spend my money on? Because if we say our goals are the well-being of our, you know, children and making sure that we have money for their, you know, education or where whatever those things are, but then we put all of the money into the battle, like, does it really match? And it's a huge undertaking. This is no small task. I'm not asking people to think about something easy. I'm asking people to think about something really, really hard. But to think about what are my priorities, even in divorce, and how does that match where my money might go? That, I'm so glad you really brought up that quote, because I think that that's, that's the rub that people can sync with their uh, cognitive brain, their prefrontal cortex, those are the things that I really want, you know, to do, to take care of my children, to have enough money for me to live separately, okay, etc. But if they're, if they're stuck in either old childhood ideas about money that are being activated by the divorce and by the sense of loss, their behavior is going to be chained to those ideas and not to their conceptual ideal, which in that split is what causes so much problem. And only through awareness and becoming conscious of these old scripts and what the, the stress of the divorce is, is bringing up, can you distance yourself from them en- enough so that you can really live through your values and not through your to your old childhood um, assumptions. So I think this is a really good time. You know, there was another, I went through, uh, you know, one part of your book and you had... You are thorough, Adina. (laughs) (laughs) I like to do my homework. It's one of my stories. (laughs) But, um, you know, what are the different ideas that we have about money? And, you know, I'll just rattle off a few here. But then, you know, I'd love for you to pull some out here, particularly some that can really be impactful for people in the divorce process, as you've seen. Okay. You know, have money for some people is means security. For some people, it means freedom. For some, it's power. For some, it's, a, you said, a substitute for love. For some, you know, it's a consolation for things that are not going well. For some, it means self-esteem or self-importance. For some, it means an easy life. For some, it means it's someone else's responsibility. I don't really have to deal with it. So, 
you had these different, you know, ideas. And as you said, I was born poor till I'll die poor. You know, money is a way to keep score and to compete. You know, you have these different scripts. And when I started reading them, well, of course, we don't just have one. I kind of saw multiple ones floating around Mm -hmm. inside Mm -hmm. me. You know, I got a little bit of that and I got a little bit of that going. And, you know, again, felt like a very humble moment of, you know, looking at those different scripts. Uh, (laughs) Yes. So I wanted to invite you, you know, you write in your book about clients who've been through divorce and um, or considered divorce. And what are some of the ways that these money scripts come up and really affect people in the process? Well, let me let me just say that not only are there all of the emotional aspects of money and uh, there's also the reality of money. And and I I would assume, and maybe this is a wrong assumption, that most of the people listening are women to the call. Um, I won't say, you know, I I will say we have somewhat of a split. So we've got both men and women on the call for sure. I don't have today's Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is that particularly women um, have this idea that they are not good with money. And in order to be, in order to get through some of the emotional aspects of money, you have to have a certain kind of financial literacy. And what I mean by that is that you have to, you have to know what your income streams are. You have to know um, about your portfolio. You have to know how you spend money. And if you blind yourself to the, to the reality of the money, then it, it further gridlocks you into these old beliefs. And again, particularly for women, when they have, if somebody has math anxiety, it makes it hard for them to think they could be good managing money. Or if they have this half-truth money script belief that the universe is going to provide for them, which is a, 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 a particular money script that many, many women have, then they those those beliefs make it harder for them to access the reality of money. And in terms of the reality of money, I think men tend to be more uh, fluent with it so that that in a divorce could heighten, you know, a woman's feeling more insecure because the guy is the one that takes care of the money, pays the bills, or if he doesn't pay the bills, he knows how money works in the real world. Um, if that makes sense. Right. And so, you know, I mean, I, I think what you're saying, there are certainly generalizations and then there are sometimes when that is flipped in another direction. And I like that you made the distinction because I think that this is true. Sometimes there's one person who pays the bills, but as you said, someone else who really understands how the money, as you said, works in the real world. And um, that in the divorce, and I've certainly seen it in my case working with clients, I am sure you've seen it in yours, is that the level of mistrust that arises once a divorce begins between the person who has a better understanding of the money and the person who yes. has less of an understanding causes yes. a real 
spiraling into, you know, a lot of acrimony in the process because there's immediately this sense of fear of they're going to take everything. I'm going to get left with, left with nothing or, you know, <laughs> whatever. It can go in so many different ways in the direction, but certainly the person who's feeling more vulnerable, their vulnerability gets triggered and heightened and can lead to a battling that may not actually make sense or bring them greater benefit, but is stemming from this emotional place that you described. Right. And then if they have the old money script that either the universe will provide or I grew up poor, I'm going to die poor, and that gets activated, that just heaps more coals on the fire of acting in a way that's very self-sabotaging and destructive. But at the same time might feel in the moment very satisfying, like I'm just going to make sure that that guy doesn't take advantage of me and put all the money into a flaming divorce. Right, right. And, you know, and then there are scripts that can come up in the other direction, too, even for the person who has the better understanding, as you're saying, or maybe more control or more, you know, hands around the money. That person has their own money scripts, too, right? Sure. Well, and if their if their if their money script is uh, money is a way of keeping score and being competitive, they're going to want to make sure that they get their own, which um, you know may not make them as generous as they and fair as they may wish to be in their ideal self. Right, and there's also this script that comes up around you know divorce that, um, you know, I think is pretty prevalent around, um, well, I think one of you said that there tends to be this mentality of winner or loser, you know, so mm-hmm. that comes out. Um, but it's also, you know, all kinds of things. Well, I made sacrifices so they could, so shouldn't I get more? And so there's a lot of personal scripts that come in. And then there's the way that in Pennsylvania anyway, but in every state, there's formulas for distributing, distributing marital yeah. assets. You know, and that those don't jive with people's money scripts lots of times. So you end up with the courts having to find a formula for how this works, but it not really being consistent or making sense when we have a different script going on. And just that misunderstanding or uh, dislocation between those two can really cause a lot of anxiety in the process. Yes, and I think what one thing you just said was really, really important, and that is if there if there's still all kinds of of emotional battles that may not have anything to do with money but may have to do with uh, I loved you more than you loved me or I did more for you than you did for me, then those emotional battles can very easily be concretized into the allocation of assets and money so that if if it if if you didn't feel emotionally taken care of in the marriage then it's very easy to and you're still in a in a more angry state to say well at least I can get money for my suffering Right, and really there isn't pain and suffering in divorce division, at least as far as the courts are concerned. So, right. you know, it's not something we get paid out for the same way you do if you were injured in a car in an accident or something like that, that there isn't, you know, calculations for pain and suffering in divorce. Exactly, and that, I think that's such a critical point because I think people, if they get to the point of wanting a divorce, it they wish it were more like an automobile accident where you get money for pain and suffering. 
Right. And certainly for things that come up, like somebody had an affair or things like that. And it's one of the very things that makes divorce so emotionally challenging is that in the legal process, there really is not a recognition or a vehicle for, you know, making things equal in those terms. You know, somebody had an affair or, as you said, one of these things happened, people, it's very natural to look to to the money part to try to find some relief and it's just not how it works. And so I think, you know, another really important thing, if people walked away from this call, somehow being able to integrate that as painful as it is, that it's one of those things that can save a lot of money in the divorce process is not trying to get something that's not available through the process. Exactly, exactly. And I think another idea that might help people get to the point of getting through some of the more difficult, uh, painful feelings is understanding the process of loss. And I'm, I think probably a lot of people have heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who formulated kind of the stages of grief as somebody is dying. And I think it's, you know, the relationship is dying in a sense. And you start out kind of in a, 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 a state of denial. And then you go to anger, which is where a lot of people unfortunately get stuck and then if you can work through the anger you get to a sadness and then a resignation that this is happening and that's when the you're able to to change and I think look forward and say yeah there's a good reason I'm going through this pain I'm trying to get to a better place and then the acceptance of all the churning that's gone on so you really can come to the table in the divorce with more compassion for yourself and maybe even compassion for your uh, soon-to-be ex-partner or uh, spouse. You know, I want to pick up on one thing you said, and then I want to move us in another direction that I know people okay. are thinking about. But the, and the one thing that you said, you know, and, you know, for people listening, it's, um, and I don't know, maybe I'm saying the impossible, you know, it, it's because I realize it's so difficult. I, and I won't say impossible, I'll just say a challenge and really is a test of our, you know, of our will in some ways. But because of those stages you just described, you know, divorce oftentimes erupts in the mid- middle of the anger, right? You know, I mean, there's yeah. all this anger and there's all this fighting and things. So it's very natural, like one party might be in denial and shock, then they may go to anger. But when when the divorce snowball starts rolling down the hill in the middle of the anger and shock phases, that's when there's the greatest amount of battling. That's when there's the greatest amount of money spent and when things become protracted and, you know, those things happen. When, you know, I know that when I work with people is sometimes the process is just about slowing it down. You know, not acting immediately, but really slowing it down to give a chance to move through some of those other stages because a divorce that's navigated when we're closer to acceptance is a very different divorce than one that's navigated while in anger. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if people can get the idea that this process of grief and loss is normal, that that's the way you're going to heal yourself. And if you stay in the anger or stay in the denial, you you rob yourself of the opportunity for self-healing. Right. So one of the things, you know, you mentioned that we could talk about, and I want to move there, is, you know, what's the alternative? You know, what are some of the healthy ways to either manage or think about money as you're going through divorce? So share some of that with us. 
Okay. I, I think the one important thing is um, why are you thinking about separating? Why are you thinking about getting a divorce? And what are the important things that you're going to achieve by doing so? That's the first thing. The second thing is um, uh, what can you be responsible and be accountable for? And I think this is a tough one, but a very important one, that it's very easy to blame other people for, quote, things going wrong or not being right or whatever. But what is, again, painful but very, very productive is to say, okay, what is my part in this? How did I play into whatever happened so that I can learn to grow from my own behavior? And even if you do that, you may still decide you want to separate or divorce, but you at least are working on yourself in the process and not getting stuck in just blaming the other person. And then, of course, acknowledging the difficulty and pain of what you're going through and if you really go through this process of coming to resignation and acceptance, then I think that puts you in a situation of wanting to be fair to yourself, but also wanting to be fair to this person at one point you probably loved and for whatever reason it just got off the rails. Right. And, you know, so being able to, you know, shift in the mind frame that way. And then specifically around money, I mean, I know you talk in your book about things, you know, really sit and educate yourself, you know, educate yourself on what the marital assets are, educate yourself on your own financial position and what that might look like before and after divorce. I mean, you really challenge us to say, you know, don't just sit and pray to the universe and don't just, you know, fight about it, but, you know, educate yourself. So what are some of the really important things we can do to educate ourselves? Well, everybody has access to Google now. And, you know, whatever the question is you have about money, you ask Google, Google will come out with several pages for you to look at. So the information is there. Um, The other thing I would recommend highly, and I know you do in your book, Adina, is the uh, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. for especially for women who are very anxious about money and this kind of designation gives the person the expertise to evaluate uh your what you need to live in the lifestyle that hopefully you you know expect to have and it will help you determine that so that in the settlement you'll have some uh basis for uh, the things that you're asking for. And you probably know more about, you know, what the analyst can do, but uh, just the awareness that there's that kind of person to consult, I think is really important. Absolutely. And, you know, to just expand on a couple things you said, so the, the book that Maggie's referring to is The Divorce Companion, which is a program, multimedia program on preparing for divorce that I've put together with a team of divorce professionals. And so in there, we have a whole section on the finances and on money and preparing both emotionally um, for navigating. But then also, what are all the pieces of information that you would want to gather to be knowledgeable, to be educated and to know that you have your handle on your marriage? 
assets. Um, and then it introduces, as Maggie said, certified divorce financial analysts, which are some of, you know, I feel like the diamond in the rough and the least well-known resource in support of healthy divorces, which are independent analysts who can really help look at the financial situation, understand it, help people understand what a, an equitable distribution can look like and um, what it will mean for the future and different ways to divide the pot that will actually achieve those goals we talked about, not the goals of fighting, but the goals of what we want, what do we want for our kids, what do we want for retirement and things like that. So, you know, I think they are some of the least known resources and most valuable people in the divorce process um, that can really help people to gain a tremendous amount of education. And I know that whenever I send clients to the CDFAs that I refer them to, it just is completely changes everything and how great they feel to have that much education and to be that empowered to understand the financial part and the big financial picture. So, you know, I think those things are definitely true. And, you know, you have talked about making a budget too and really pushing yourself to understand what the expenses are because in this particular case, it's the fear of the unknown. We imagine we'll have nothing. We imagine everything we won't be able to do or we imagine all those things and our mind always tells us a much greater horror story than is usually actually true. Absolutely. (laughs) Our mind plays plays that trick on us, doesn't it? Certainly does. It amplifies the fear. So, you know, being able to really get a handle on reality, and I know, and I would just want to say this for callers, like some of this stuff is really hard for me. I know where my money triggers are too, and for me, having somebody to go with me or having somebody to sit with me, it's something I recommend in my program too, that if money is a trigger and you're so afraid to even look, you know, bring in somebody, bring in your best friend, bring in a sister-in-law, brother-in-law, somebody who can sit with you that you really trust to do this rather than ignoring it. Get some support around it. I think that's really, really important. And the the emotion that usually gets in the way of people doing that is feeling ashamed that they they don't know. So it's hard to reach out. But um, I would encourage them, as you just did, to reach out anyway. Right, right. It's the only thing that kind of keeps us from sinking deeper into the quicksand, you know, that we can get pulled into and things like that. Um, So, you know, in terms of our thinking about it, I do want to bring in here, you know, that – because, you know, we, we run these calls in conjunction with a mediation firm, and part of the reason that our companies have joined together to run this through a mediation firm is that, you know, because really the belief in, you know, mediation is a very powerful resource for helping people to be able to have divorces that are healthy, that are not overly costly, and, you know, that will extend a team. The Mainline Family Law Center is a um, a company that really believes in the holistic approach and who are the coaches and who are the therapists and who are the CDFAs and who are the realtors, who are the people who can really be a team and help people here because it's not just about having protection. I mean, it's really about having the right kind of educated team and someone like Maggie having you on the team, you know, to help me understand my own story as I'm going through it is so valuable so that I don't get driven in unproductive directions by my own stories. That that's the most important thing because the uh, getting driven in the wrong direction is the self sabotage, and you want to do everything you can in your awareness to uh, maybe feel all of that but not act it out in your behavior. 
Right. So, you know, Maggie, you have some of the, in your book, you share some golden nuggets of, you know, your own discoveries having, you know, not, <laughs> not just kind of like life changes of, you know, marital status, but of ups and downs in stock markets and, you know, all kinds of things. You know, you, this didn't come from, you know, having been on easy street your whole life. <laughs> oh, no, no, hardly, hardly, hardly. <laughs> you know, you definitely really lived the ups and downs and things like that. So, you know, what are some of those things? things that you really would want to share with people that, you know, you've discovered in your work with clients, your personal experience that you think, you know, are just so super valuable that people can um, maybe take some wisdom from? Well, I think probably the the most important thing is um, that other people will have had many similar experiences and when we're wrapped in our own shame as I was when I lost a great deal of money in 2000 from uh, uh, just bad judgment and probably and being driven by my own childhood beliefs that I felt so ashamed that I didn't want to talk to anybody about how much money I'd lost. And so I didn't until I just couldn't not anymore. And what I realized in retrospect is had I just opened myself to other people's uh, compassion and understanding right away, uh, I would have been a whole lot better off. But I got locked in that old childhood gridlock and couldn't do that. Um so the 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 idea of reaching out to trusted people I think is absolutely essential in getting through anything that's really difficult but you have to do it in a in a place that you're coming from that feels like that's the last thing you want to do and and that's what makes the struggle so hard because you have to do something that bridges over the bad feeling that you're experiencing Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've totally been there. And so that is a great pearl of wisdom is, you know, just when it feels like the very last thing I want to do is reveal myself in any way or open up to either the shameful feeling place or thing I've done is the place exact is the time exactly to do that. It's it's really the way to find the light out of the dark place that you're in, even though everything inside is telling you all you want to do is curl up and bury yourself someplace dark. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So what else? So that's one pearl of wisdom. One other one you have for us, and then we'll kind of talk about how uh, some of the other resources and how people can reach us. Um, I think keeping a journal is really important or, you know, where where you can try to get some perspective because it's easy when you're going through a storm to get lost in it. And either by writing or um, by, uh, I know for me, doing a lot of physical exercise helps get, get me out of the immediate into a different place where I can see things from a, a slightly uh, greater perspective. So I'm just not lost in my uh, kind of own pain. So value value those behaviors that you can find that can lift you out um, because you may sink back in, but every time you lift yourself out, you'll get a slightly better view of the overall of what's happening. 
Absolutely. And so those are really important for managing and navigating through just, you know, the pain and, and things that we're in of lifting ourselves out. Um, I'm also going to share one other thing from your book in Chapter 2 where you have um, an exercise and you originally talked about journaling, and you have an exercise on your money story, right? And you say to write a money story or describe a situation that typifies what money means to you, and then write down what you imagine the comments from the couch, meaning, you know, if you were sitting there opposite side, what, what they would be. But, um, you know, looking for, do you see any patterns to your relationship? So pick any typical thing, you know, I could pick the impulsive spending I did the other day, you know, and write about it and you know really look at like what's at work there that was driving that decision around money that choice around it that relationship around it and so you know that journaling that you talked about very specifically to money if people are curious to really begin to delve in I think even this basic exercise you have in the book gets us started in really understanding and taking responsibility for our stories which of course is the first step we know is to you know finding our way through to um, you know a stronger place so um, I wanted to just share that from your book. Yes, and, and again, that there is so much value in writing things down because it gets you out of the immediate and it puts you in a slightly better uh, sense of perspective. So you, you have the capacity to see the pattern. You can't see the pattern when you're in it. You can only see it when you get a little distant from it. Right. So, you know, at this point in the call, I really want to invite people because at this point, you know, I, I mean, I know that people really want to get their hands on resources that are going to be valuable to them. So, as I said, one is that people, somebody on this call is going to get a copy of your book, Crazy About Money, and we'll be able to let that person know probably by tomorrow who they are. So before you order it, you might want to find out if you've won it. I actually had that. I gave away a book and somebody had already bought the book from the person before we got a chance to give it to them. Uh, <laughs> but I don't want you to hesitate. Um, but Maggie, tell us um, the title of your book and how people can buy it if they're interested. Okay. It's uh, Crazy About Money, How Emotions Confuse Our Money Choices and What to Do About It. You can go to Amazon and get it from Amazon, or you can go to my website, MaggieBakerPhD.com, and you can get it from my website. Great. And so that is a really good resource. A lot of what we've been talking about, um, you know, stems from here. And then there is a huge amount additionally in here. And I absolutely love the cover. Um, the second resource that we talked about today um, was the Divorce Companion, which is available on my website, the um, Divorce Essentials with an S.net. Um, and that is a whole multimedia program on preparing for divorce that has a financial section in it and guides people to understanding what are all the financial pieces of divorce um, and emotion, like how to navigate the emotions around dealing with the money, how to, well, who a CDFA is, what kind of support they provide, and then um, material on all other aspects of divorce as well if you're um, journeying through and preparing for this, and that's at divorceessentials.net or divorcecompanion.com, actually both of those, divorcecompanion.com. And then the Mainline Family Law Center, and I really want to end here with, you know, if people are in the considering phase. They are in the mainline Philadelphia area. I know I have callers on from all over the country, um, but if we do have callers who are on that, you know, the things Maggie and I have been talking about is because divorce, the one thing divorce shouldn't have to do is cost you lots of money. It's already cost a lot of pain. Um, adding to it by just increasing costs is, you know, 
throwing salt in the wound. So there really is a team here that is interested in helping you to navigate through in a healthy way um, and with from a parenting mediator to legal mediators to a whole support team. Myself, I'm on coach, one of the coaches on their team. They have a whole team of therapists to support the work they do, realtors. So to really consider mediation as an option for you, and if you want to even know whether that could work in your case, you know, call and schedule a consult with me at divorceessentials.net, and I'll help you think through, you know, what could work for you. But our whole goal is is not to let, you know, major decisions in your life, and divorce is one of the most significant financial events that will ever happen in anyone's life, be driven by, you know, really intense emotions that preclude you from being able to make uh, the best choices for your future. So, you know, Maggie, I am so grateful to your being on with us today. This was an amazing call. I'm so, you know, I just know how much value it had for people. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're very welcome, and uh, you're a, a, a great host. I, um, You directed so well, and it made it very easy for me to access what I wanted to say. Well, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. So, and Maggie, um, you've shared people that you have a website. So we encourage people, if, again, if you're in the Philadelphia area, and Maggie, I don't know if you work with people remotely too. Do you work with people remotely? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. I'm very good with Skype. So that, or with you FaceTime. Know, it- very good. So if you know you're kind of like, yep, I have these money issues and they're definitely going to come up, you know, t- reach out to Maggie. Call me. Like, let's talk. Let's get, you know, this going. But Maggie, this is really her area of expertise. So we want to make sure that you can get the support that you need. So um, we hope every pack finishes tax day with a sigh of relief. And, um, you know, we will look forward to having you back on next month when we're actually going to be talking about the college issue and other money-related issue. But lots of times in divorce it comes up, you know, how will we pay for college, you know, and what kinds of things arise around that. So we'll have a special guest on next month for that. So in the meantime, um, have a great rest of your week and um, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.